0: What's up, I'm Bobby Jones.
1: And I'm After Aziz. We're two friends who decided to quit our jobs in corporate life to follow our purpose and passion in helping inspire people to find ways to use their talents for good.
0: Together, we're co-authors of the best-selling book, Good Is The New Cool, Market Like You Give a Damn. And we welcome you to the Good Is The New Cool podcast in partnership with Soho
1: House. Featuring some of the world's most inspiring creatives, entrepreneurs, and activists. We'll delve deep into their unique stories and the one thing they have in common, the desire and the courage to transform our world for the better. In this episode,
2: we'll be hearing from the inspiring and world-changing Cyril Gooch. First, ask yourself the question, why would you go for the oceans? Why would you try to protect the sea? But what else should you protect? Because we're living on planet ocean, we're not living really on planet Earth. The truth is, the oceans are the lifeblood of our planet. And if we lose them, then we will not be able to
0: live here. Cyril founded Polly for the Oceans, an amazing organization fighting to eliminate plastics from our world in order to tackle the deadly contamination of the
1: planet's most
0: important ecosystem, our
1: oceans. Parley's mission includes everything from physically cleaning the oceans to paving a path for a future free from plastics but also funding research, raising awareness, and creating real solutions to one of the world's biggest problems. So the first time I
0: really heard about Parley for the Oceans was from you. I mean, you were, I think, one of the early adopters of Parley. You were were wearing them as you were traveling around the world speaking and you were probably one of the first real kind of evangelists uh, for the
1: brand and and the partnership that I think I saw. Which is funny considering that you're the sneak ahead compared to the both (laughs) of us. (laughs) But yeah, I was one of those people who spotted the first, you know, 7,000 pairs of limited editions that came out with uh, Parley and Adidas. And uh, I was so intrigued by the fact that Adidas, a brand that, you know, I know you and I respect and admire a lot were blazing a new path with new materials. Every single detail of it just fascinated me. How they made the shoe out of gill nets uh, that were used for illegal deep-sea fishing. How they pioneered a way to turn the material into ocean plastic. uh, To just the level of super cool design in what is an environmentally sustainable product. And as we say in the book, lead with the cool and they baked in the good. And I saw a Tesla do it with cars. And this is the first time I'd seen somebody do it with sneakers in such an amazing way.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the um, we talk about the multiple principles in the book, uh, The Good is a New Cool book. One is this idea of think citizens, not consumers. Mm, yeah. And, you know, I think one of the things that he is really, I think, tapping into is this idea that we as citizens want to be able to buy into things that align with our values and in our priorities and we want to feel as though we're part of solving a problem. Um you know, each sneaker box come with an NFC chip code that you can scan mm. and find out how many plastic bottles you actually prevented from going into the oceans. And that idea that, you know, by by doing that, it's allowing all of us who wear Prole to feel as though we're not just wearing cool shoes but we're also Solution creators. We're actually problem solvers. We are actually part of creating the change that we want to see, and and I think that's just a really powerful proposition to make a much more compelling one, I think, than than often how most brands try to speak to consumers. Mm. And so I I think that that combination was really kind of the win-win that you know often we talk about you know leading with the cool and baking in the good. But really being able to connect those things in a way that you have a great story, you know, that people can connect with. I'm curious, like, you you know, you're born on an island, you know, you're born in this place where, you know, probably the connection to the oceans is definitely much greater than it was, you know, me growing up in D.C. here.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I grew up in Sri Lanka. I grew up uh, literally 500 yards from the Indian Ocean. And it is a tragedy to see what is happening, even on an island like Sri Lanka, where you You walk on what were pristine beaches and you just see trash everywhere. You know, it's difficult sometimes to envision the climate crisis or the climate apocalypse, as I like to call it, because climate crisis isn't strong enough, (laughs) you know, in tangible terms. But ocean plastic is one of those things that seems to have grabbed people's attention as a visible symptom of the problems that we are causing this planet. And It's profound to think about how this consciousness about single use plastic is now permeated into mass awareness. In fact, I think the Collins Dictionary called single use plastic the word of the year or the phrase of the year. Wow. Um, It's kind of one of those things that's captured the imagination. And I think that's why what Parley did uh, was so beautiful to step into that moment and go, you know, all right. We're now aware of the problem. Here's some solutions and but there's this idea that you
0: can't create this type of change alone you You need allies and one of the things that I think Cyril does a great job of is really talking about the power of allies um and I think that there's a lot to learn from his approach to building parlay, not just as this kind of lone wolf, so to speak, that's on a crusade to to save the world but is really a platform that allies can, can be a part of and not only the partners that he's formed, but us as conscious buyers, um, how we are also really part of that, that, that platform and that, in that community that is building.
1: Yeah. You know, he, uh, has done, he and Parley have done an amazing job of building relationships with, uh, major brands. So, um, Corona, partnering with Parley to uh, save beaches in 100 countries around the world. American Express and Parley have announced that they're going to do a ocean plastic card uh, alongside corporate commitments. And especially when it comes to fashion, as you mentioned, um, they're doing a really great job of building a platform that so many allies can plug into. Um, And that's really the power of something like fashion to help an idea scale quickly across the world and to scale sustainably as well. Um so just really, really full of admiration of what they do. And you know, we've had a great year of talking to amazing creatives and designers and entrepreneurs and activists. And I can think of no better way to end our first season um than by talking to Cyril, who is really just the epitome of, of everything that we've been talking about with Good as a new cool. I was lucky enough to be able to speak with Cyril about Parley and the mission. He's just a really interesting guy to speak with, with an awesome voice. You can just sit back and listen to him think in such a visionary way. He's a real storyteller.
0: Yeah, I agree. Cyril's great. You know, I'm really intrigued to hear about his, his journey and his mission. So let's do this. Here he is, Cyril Gush.
1: Cyril, welcome to the Good is a New Cool podcast. We're super excited to have you on. We're huge fans of the work you and Parley for the Oceans have been doing. Welcome to the
2: podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm super excited. I love what you do. And thanks a lot for the support. We actually do need it.
1: Well, let's jump in. You know, this podcast really is finding out about how to use the power of cool to do good. And you're somebody who has absolutely been on that journey. You had a very successful career as a designer and I want to talk about the the inflection point, the day you realized you could use your talents for making things cool in service of good. Could you talk a little bit about the day that you met Paul Watson and and the epiphany that you had that day?
2: Yeah, I'm standing there at Art Basel in Switzerland at a Jeff Koons exhibition. And a friend of mine comes and she's wearing this black T-shirt and has the Jolly Roger, the symbol of the pirates um, on it. And I asked her, I'm like, hey, what's your deal with this organization? Because it was obviously the logo of Sea Shepherd. And I knew Sea Shepherd until then only from television and the media. And they were known as the, I would say, the Jay-Z of the environmental movement. Like the bad guys, you know, that turned famous and then you would forgive them for their sins. But in origin, like very controversial. And she said to me, oh, I'm here, I'm in Germany and now in Switzerland to bring bail money to Captain Paul Watson because the Germans actually arrested him. And then she said, oh, you're German. You should actually meet Captain Paul Watson. He got arrested in Germany and we need to get him out. So one day later, I was sitting in front of him in this little law firm in Frankfurt. And there was this like Santa Claus in a pirate costume. And he looked at me and he was the total opposite of what you would expect, the total opposite of how media would portray him. He was like a very lovely guy and super soft eyes and extremely well-educated, like Wikipedia in person. And I asked him, I said, Paul, you always say the oceans die. And if they do, we're going to die as well. So I'm a designer originally, and I need deadlines. I need to know when are they dying? And he said, oh, that's common knowledge. They're going to die 2048. And I'm like, whoa, that's 36 years out. So I took a little break, went to the bathroom and Googled. And I felt first that he's a drama queen, you know, I mean, activists are very good in using the media, very good in provoking. And But then when I Googled and when I looked at the studies that I found, it was totally confirmed. Scientists like Ben Hoppen and Boris Borm, they estimated that by 2048, all the fish in the oceans would be dead. And the idea that the oceans would die in my lifetime, that this would be the legacy of my generation, this idea was too big for me, too horrendous, really. So I went back into the room and looked at Paul, and I felt like I'm going to do everything I can to help him get out of this situation and to help this movement that was it. And then I asked him, I said, listen, how can you motivate yourself? How can you be so positive about a lost cause? And he answered with a Winston Churchill quote, he said, oh, the lost causes are the only ones worth fighting for. And yeah, that moment I decided I'm going to start an environmental organization and I'm going to do everything I can to get Captain Paul Watson out of his legal trouble, but then also to dedicate my life for the sea.
1: That's as amazing an origin story as I've ever heard in terms of having, you know, a moment of obligation to the universe about what you wanted to do. And so I want to talk about how you took the energy of that moment and that intention and your gifts, uh, you know, as a designer and decided to focus on plastic as a starting
2: point. The funny thing is that I had no clue where to start, you know, and when I looked at it, I felt I have to understand first what's going on. And I have to understand my reason to be here. So when you look at all these environmental issues we are facing, there's always an economic flaw somewhere, a model that went wrong, a way of making things, the ingredients that we use, the way how we consume, how we discard, and all that is a design failure. So actually, the problems we're experiencing on this planet is caused by the creative industries. That's how I see it now. And that defines my role as a creator. Mm. Because the creative industries, you know, we are the ones that are guiding economy into the future. We are guiding them to success with design, with technology, with media reach. But then we always feel that, oh, we're not responsible. We're not cutting the checks. We're not hiring the people. We're just the innocent, exploited creatives. That's not true. We have all the power. And that led me to the understanding and to the commitment, really, that the creative industries, that the creative class, that we have to own this movement. We have to make environmentalism sexy, big, and we have to bring change to the society in a super fast way.
1: Mm, yeah.
2: Because people don't realize, but we are in the sixth mass extinction event. And we caused it this time. It's no asteroid. And when I looked at all these different causes and especially illegal fishing, overfishing and then climate change, they were either so brutal, so violent that you could not visualize them. You could not translate them to the masses without really frustrating them and making them look away. Or you wouldn't be able to visualize these big issues. And that brought me to plastic. Plastic is the perfect poster child for the ocean movement because it always looks good. And it sounds crazy because you open a fish and all these beautiful little plastic pieces come out in all these colors. And it's a very sad, destructive scenery, but you can't look away. That allows us to see the beauty on one side and accept the fragility, the horror on the other side. It lures us in. And in 2012 also, when we started Palais, plastic was not a big thing. People wouldn't believe that this is a real threat. All the big environmental organizations went for other causes. And we wanted to show with one very specific topic that we can create a super trend, that we can use the power of the creative community to put the attention onto an environmental issue and use that then as a gateway to other causes. Mm. So we didn't want to start an environmental organization that is based on shame and blame, that goes out and protests. We wanted more to make people understand that we are responsible for the destruction of our our planet, but also understand that we can invent our way out of this mess. Let's just see this as a creative challenge and accept that we screwed up. And then go and say, how much time do we have left? How fast do we need to create new alternatives? And see that all more as a collaborative effort than one of blame and shame. So Palé was started as a collaboration network, really. And the name itself means making peace, making peace between mankind and the sea. So what's Pali's mission plan? What does the process look like? My background is brand strategy. And there was a very big hostility between the environmental movement and brands. And I knew if we don't create a bridge between the people who have to change and the people that know that change has to happen, then we will not achieve anything. So we felt we have to bring everybody in the room. We have to unite the environmental movement with industry. And we have to kind of find ways that industry finds it more lucrative to protect the oceans than to destroy them, even if it would cost them a bit more money here and there. And... The only way that you get them to invest is if they understand that the consumer wants it or the consumer rewards it. So we had to create a trend and we wanted to give the cause of marine plastic pollution a face. And we gave it first a name of opportunity. We said, we're going to turn marine debris into ocean plastic. Mm. So six years ago, when we looked at marine plastic pollution, we Realize that there is not really a financial model that makes it attractive for people to go to remote places and collect all that trash. It takes a lot of effort to intercept it. And you have to ship it for long distances. Then you have to clean it. You have to sort it. And then you have to give it new life. This again asks for a lot of research and development because these materials are in a very bad shape. Now, we felt that if we make people understand that ocean plastic has more value than virgin plastic, then they will use that instead of making more. If they see that it elevates the value of a product and it gives them a story, then they would invest and they would say, okay, I accept a material price that is probably five to 10 times as high. But on the other hand, I have a unique story to tell and I'm showing that I commit for an environmental cause. So our approach was that purpose is the new luxury. That one day, soon, people would make a decision on the base of how a product is made, what the intention is behind putting all this together into a commercial item. And now, six years later, yeah, we have proven that. So for us, products are really thrown horses. They are messengers. And they allow you, as a consumer, to actually do something for the environment, which you otherwise probably couldn't. And on the other hand, it funds our movement and allows us to do more stuff, to go out there and have impact, to go out there and pay amazing scientists, um, to invent new materials. So, what does the future look like for materials we use? What's the ultimate goal here? In the beginning, we felt that recycling is the solution for everything, but we quickly realized that even if you are able to keep this material in a closed loop, then you will never be able to really avoid that it leaches chemicals, that it sheds microparticles, fibers or pieces. So plastic is a design failure and we have to let it go. We have to accept that this material is a big flaw. And the attempt now to say, oh my God, I'm turning all my plastic bottles into recycling material and I'm recycling more than I actually put out there. All these attempts of big bottling companies are just designed to win time, to keep the technology in place as long as possible because we will not create a system that guarantees safety when we're dealing with plastic. There is a lot of science out there which hasn't been heard for a long time, but now with all the attention, um, people start understanding that plastic is a health issue, it's dangerous. So at this point in time, we have to just try to avoid plastic wherever we can and cut the use down, but definitely not discarding it, not being wasteful with it, using things more often or trying to recycle, even that we know that this is not the final solution. It's the best thing we can do right now. It's a band-aid. Yeah,
1: it seems like this insurmountable task
2: what do you feel the true solution is? The, the the true solution for the global plastic crisis we are in is to invent new materials. There are promising um, scientific directions right now, like biofabrication, for example, or green chemistry. And you can grow things from algae, seaweed, um, bacteria, enzymes, even yeast, proteins you can use to grow alternative materials. And I think that's the interesting um aspect of what is happening today that the new is coming it's approaching fast and we just have to open the door and we have to create a climate where change makers are being supported and where failure is accepted because everything new every innovation needs time needs trust and needs a lot of money
1: and is this the catalyst to create the parley institute for material science
2: when when we entered the realm of environmentalists, we realized that there is a lot of competition. We realized that these environmental groups are fighting each other over some money. donors, And these fights are not always nice. So we felt we have to unite them. We have to create a culture of collaboration. But more important, we need a strategy. So we created the AIR strategy, AIR. And it's based on the fact that over 70% of all the air we breathe comes from the sea. So we need the oceans to be alive. We can't pollute them with plastic. AIR stands for avoid plastic wherever you can. I stands for intercept plastic. Take material from remote areas where normally nobody would take it and use it instead of making more. But also understand that this is just a band-aid. This is a temporary solution because the R of AIR is the ultimate goal redesign the material, let the current fossil fuel-based plastic go and come up with a new generation. And this will take a moment. This will take the next four to 12 years. And in the meantime, we can look at product design and and eliminate plastic as best as we can. And the problem is that it's very hard today to find alternative materials because they are still in process of being invented. Out there, are lots of inventors, material scientists. And lots of them have worked on future materials for 10, 15 years. And now finally they see funding. And on the other hand, for the investors, it is a very tough situation too because they do have the money, but nobody really knows what the technologies are that are worth investing. It's a gamble. And that's the reason Palais decided to create a radar that allows you to identify all the different scientific concepts that are out there aiming at replacing toxic um, or cruel substances or materials. The big challenge today is that these big brands don't really make their product themselves anymore. They are like professional consumers. They use ingredients that are already there. They believe they're vendors. And yes, they ask for things. But it's very rare that they can actually control the ingredients that go into their products. So what they can do, though, they can help you to work with their supply chain and with their vendors. And we as Palais, we can ask the impossible. We can try out and we can play around while the company observes it and says, once it works, we're going to scale it up. we are going to use it in all products. And that convinces uh, manufacturers to take the risk because nobody wants to change the technology without knowing that there is demand. And that's what big brands can do. They can promise reward for eco-innovation to a vendor by scale.
1: What advice do you have to other creative people who may want to contribute their talents and go on the same journey that you did?
2: I think we have a big role to play as creatives and in general I feel that the role of the creative community starts by raising awareness. I mean as a designer you just have to make this decision first and say I don't want to create items that are becoming weapons of mass destruction even if it's just a yogurt cup or a lamp. Then you question the reason to be of a product. Do we really need a piece of dental floor sitting in this bracket of plastic that you use once? How can I create items that last longer? But also, how can I avoid plastic? How can I cut it down? How can I encourage uh, new technologies that probably are not perfect yet and probably are only fit for a concept car and you don't want to put them in production, but they need support, they need awareness, they need attention. I I challenge myself, I provoke myself and, and create something with total new materials or total old materials. And then there are simple things. You just cut out the use of any single-use disposal plastic items. You don't use plastic bags. You don't use plastic bottles. Utensils. And all these things that are designed to be thrown away quickly. And you do that not only in your own private life. You introduce that at your workplace. You introduce it to your film production. And you make it actually... uh, a social code. On the other hand, you start asking and demanding. You go to your vendor and you you say, hey, I want alternatives. I want to see what ingredients are in the materials that you're offering me. I want to see, I want to learn. I don't want to be told. I don't want to believe in, in, in trust seals. I really need to understand myself what the ingredients of my creations are. And that's challenging for yourself and for others. But it creates this so urgently needed climate of change. But I believe in the power of creativity and I believe in the power of imagination because we have proven as a mankind that we can pretty much do everything we can think of. And now we have just to react very quickly and use all these skills that we have now developed to start a new era, to start a material revolution and to to end the war between mankind and the oceans, mankind and nature. Otherwise, we will not survive.
1: Cyril, thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. No, thank you. We are so pleased to have been able to feature Parley on the podcast. Cannot wait to see what you guys do next. Thank you so much. So Bobby, what did you think about Cyril and Parley and the journey that they're on? I loved love
0: uh, listening to Sarah. I mean, he embodies so much of what you and I and this whole movement of Good Is New Cool is and what we believe. Um, and there's a, a couple of things that really kind of stood out to me, just like these really powerful moments. One is when he talked about purpose being the new luxury. Mm. This idea that that a higher purpose is something that people want to represent and buy into. And have as a badge for who they are and what, what they, what they care about. There's also this, this, the power of creativity and the power of creators to shine a light on issues and to help actually solve problems. Um, I love the way that he, you know, he talks about both convening a diverse cross section of people and thought leaders, particularly in this era that we're in right now, where there's just so much divisiveness around ideologies and points of view. This idea that he's creating these spaces where people who have different points of view and maybe different creative approaches can come together and exchange those and challenge each other and really apply all of that brilliance towards solving problems that are bigger uh, than any of us as individuals.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. You know, I feel like it's the only way we're going to solve it because it is such a huge issue to deal with and it's such a, such a crucial issue for humanity to solve, that you do need something similar to um, you know the, the moonshot that put a man on the moon. You need an, an unprecedented effort. Uh, we're bringing together people who may not have thought about being collaborators, who are now realizing that we have to be because we only have one planet and we only have one ocean. And if that's gone, then we're gone. You know, so it is a sobering thought at the same time as being an inspiring thought. Um, And and what's, what's really inspiring about Cyril and the whole team at Parley is that they're sitting there, you know, going, we have to take the lead on this. We have to be the ones responsible for the change. And they're taking ownership in a way that is now really forming a movement of people with this collective desire to fix this problem and fix the world. You know, that's the
0: imperative right now. You know, I, I think another thing that, that Cyril speaks about, which I think is really important, is embracing failure. Mm. And I and I think that oftentimes, you know, as, as individuals and as um organizations, um there's such a risk aversion, this fear of failure, this idea that if what if we mess up, what if we uh make a misstep? What if we get some things wrong? And it's and it's so much fear about that that people oftentimes become paralyzed. And, you know, I think that what Cyril is really embracing is this idea that failure is okay, that better is good, meaning that although, you know, we may not on an individual basis, whether it's our individual use of plastic or organizational um, use of plastic may not be exactly where we want it to be, but doing something better is good. And sometimes that's good enough right now. I mean, even he has said that as much as he wants to live in a world in which there is no plastic, we're not there yet. So in between where we are and that end goal is is the progress that we're making. Starting where you are with what you have and continuing to build and grow together is, uh, is, is I think, is a really important concept for us all to embrace as we're, as we're tackling a lot of these big issues.
1: Yeah, I totally agree, 100%. I I also love the story of of how this happened to him in the first place this chance encounter this serendipitous encounter with uh Captain Paul Watson I think it's almost poetic the fact that <laughs> this whole thing with Parley started with Cyril having to bail him out yeah. <laughs> having to bail him out of jail and you know and having this encounter with somebody um you know who who is able to make him see the narrow window of time that we have we have less than a decade in which to fix this problem, you know, and 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 I love the the quote from uh, Paul Watson quoting Churchill when he said, "Lost causes are the only ones worth fighting for." Um, I don't believe it's a lost cause. I believe that we can fix it. You know, I believe that we have the technology and now the willpower to fix this problem as well. Um, but but I kind of admire the heroism in the face of daunting challenges. Um, and and kind of saying, I may not be able to solve this in my lifetime, but I'm going to try and make a dent in it as well.
0: Yeah, and 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 I, I, I'm with you. And I mean, I think, you know, I'm looking at it just in terms of my own home. And, and that's what it's about. It's about just trying to figure out what are the changes that, that we can make within the realm of power that we have.
1: Yeah, and, and what's really inspiring is to see initiatives that have cropped up in the UK recently. So one of the friends of the show, Sarah Vaughan, uh, and her amazing non-profit, A Plastic Planet, you know, first they championed a supermarket, uh, plastic-free supermarket aisle. And then recently, a few weeks ago, they partnered with the supermarket chain Budgeons in the UK uh, to do the world's first plastic-free supermarket. So it is possible. Uh, it is possible to... Uh, envision a consumer lifestyle that doesn't involve plastic in any way. Um, and it's really encouraging to see different people trying different uh, techniques. Everybody has a solution that they can offer. Um, and so we'd love to hear yours. We'd love to hear stories of other people out there that you think are doing amazing things. Yeah, we'd
0: love to hear you know from our listeners who are the people that you think we should be paying attention to and and, and talking to and talking about and talking with. You know, we we really want to uh, shine a lot on people that are doing really great things out there, and and to and to introduce you all to them, and and them to 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 you all as part of our community. Um, before we we wrap up, you know, we're coming on the the end of the year, uh, and it's that time of year where. We begin to think of uh, not only the highlights of this past year, but our re- resolutions. You know, we've had an amazing first season and starting off with uh, Dao Yi and uh, of public school and uh, Rachel Johnson of, of Thomas Faison. We've talked to Robert Ecker about tackling food waste. Um, we've talked to Maya Nista Smith about removing the stigma of uh, mental health and creating a kinder, braver world. Uh, Jason Maiden reminded us of the power of play. And, and Poppy reminded us of the, the the importance of taking care of our uh, own mental
1: health. I'm curious, um, what are your resolutions for 2019? Uh, yeah, we've been lucky to have uh, a great lineup of people who inspire us to to be better, uh, as my wife would say. Um, I think one of the most profound conversations for me was with Maya Enesta-Smith. And it's what she talked about how the smallest acts can make the biggest differences sometimes. And I think that it's something which I really want to try and practice more of, you know, in my day-to-day life, which is the art of kindness. I think it's also about, you know, uh, practicing kindness to yourself sometimes and, you know, making sure that you you take care of your mental health, like Poppy Jamie was talking about as well. So for me, really, that's one of the main takeouts and one of the main themes I pulled out from this. It's a great season, this great first season of guests that we've had. Um, And one thing I'm going to focus on from a New Year's resolution point of view. How about yourself? You know, I think the biggest thing that I'll take away from this year, um, which
0: I think is this season captured, hopefully, is that, you know, it goes back to the quote uh, that that we often use, uh, against the ruin of the world, the only solution is the creative act. And I am constantly inspired by how many amazing creative acts are being done daily by super talented people. And I I think with with each guest that we have and each conversation that we have, I'm reminded of of how much good is out here, um, even when it doesn't feel like it. And my biggest resolution, I think, is, is one of our, our principle, which is continue to find allies and, and find the allies mm. that are out there um, and, and to really connect all of us, our, our networks, our listeners, and all of the people that we are fans of. Yeah, that's, I think that's my resolution, to, to be a good ally to others and to find allies in this good-as-a-new-cool movement that, that we're
1: all a part of. Amen, amen. So that's a wrap for this season. Enjoy the holidays. We'll be back next year with a brand new list of amazing guests. So stay tuned for that.
0: And so as we wrap up the season, I want to give a special shout out to so many people who have helped make this possible. One, our, our partner in crime, uh, Mikaela Solar March, who is uh, here, here, co-creator of this podcast.
1: Thank you to the Soul House crew and community. I want to say a special thank you to everybody at Radio Wolfgang, especially our tireless producer, Taz, who does such a good job of producing this show. And to all of you who listen on um, each episode and share and continue
0: to, to grow this audience and community, uh, thank you. Thanks again,
1: and see you next year. All right. This program was brought to you by Good Is A New Cool in Soho House in association with Radio Wolfgang. It was hosted by me, Aftal Aziz and Bobby Jones. It featured Cyril Gooch, founder of Parley for the Oceans. If you want to know more, please go to newcool.org.